I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives so that together you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Yep. That's very interesting. Yeah, that's uh, that's my first guest today. That is uh, Jude Francis Alphonsus Martin Putnam, because no child should be without a bevy of saints to accompany him on his journey through life. <laughs> so, yeah, we, uh, he was born this last Tuesday, and uh, Tuesday was a very interesting day. Uh, first of all, August 1st, we were hoping that he would be an August baby for a number of reasons, one of which was because I had to be out of town on his due date at the end of July, and we really, really, really wanted uh, him not to come while I was gone. Uh, and so he was he was kind, God was gracious, and he not only did he let me get home <laughs> from my trip, but he let me sleep because I had a red-eye flight all the way back home. He let me sleep for a little while before... Uh, before he decided to come. So we had uh, labor through the night and uh, early in the morning he was born. And then later that afternoon, uh, we had some good news about some expected transition in our lives as a family. So as of now, it looks as though we are California bound. Uh, A couple of logistics still to work out, but assuming that all things work out well, uh, I and now my wife and seven children are going to pack up the uh, the good old Penske and point it west, uh, heading over uh, plains and badlands and much more uh, to finally arrive in Oakland, California. Uh, and so we're looking forward to that. You'll hear much more about that in the coming weeks, no doubt, because it's going to be really kind of the center of our entire focus as a family. It's going to probably take up a good portion of, of my understanding uh, and my, my processing power. And we're going out there uh, to, to work for the Diocese, Diocese of Oakland, uh, in the area of evangelization. I'm sure that you're surprised by that, given the topic of conversation that we've had here over the last several weeks. Uh, but the, the big news today is the arrival of Jude Francis Alphonsus Martin, which, uh, if you say it just right, sounds like the beginning of a limerick, right? Jude Francis Alphonsus Martin. Da, 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 da. Uh, I've, I can neither confirm nor deny the presence of several variations of that little limerick that have already been written. Um, now, we in our family, we make a big deal about names. And names are a big deal. You look in Scripture and you see uh, that, that God is very intentional about names. And he sometimes changes a person's name and changes the course of their whole life uh, as a result. And this kid's gone through a couple of different name changes. We knew, given uh, some things that have gone on in our lives this year, that that we wanted him to be Jude Martin. Uh, Martin, of course, from Martin de Porras, who is the patron saint of social justice. And St. Jude, of course, is the, the patron saint of lost causes. And we've experienced some of that in, in the last couple of years. As, as a family, we've really weathered some difficult times. Uh, but as we, you know, we like to really give some weight to the names of our children and, and kind of look to what we think that God is calling them to be and what God is, wants for this person and their personality. And, and really, it's pretty much lined up really well for each of the children that we have. Uh, but as we consider that for, for Jude, um, 
Francis came to the top of the heap. St. Francis, of course, being uh, the, the one who really begged for the worst he could possibly get personally so that he might give the best to Christ and give the best to Christ in the poor and in the beggar and in those around him. Uh, and so we looked to St. Francis as the one who left everything. He left his whole life, his fortune, and everything for the sake of following Christ uh, just in, in a very profound and extreme way. So now we had, then we had, of course, Jude Francis Martin. And we, we had that for a long time, uh, all the way until the day of his birth. And we had in that day, August 1st, this just profound uh, presence of God coming and answering several prayers that we had. We had three prayers that we'd been praying for several months um, and had enlisted the, the prayers of others, including St. Jude and St. Francis and St. Martin de Porres and those who are in our uh, circle of, of friends and community who are praying for these three intentions. And on August 1st, the day of his birth, all three of these intentions were uh, were answered, and God came through in a miraculous way, and He came through in, in a way that could not be anything but the hand of God uh, answering these prayers. And so uh, we just were kind of in an afterglow on that day, just really grateful for the provision of God uh, in, in answering these three requests. And I was on Facebook that evening uh, just for a brief moment, because there's not much you can do other than uh, gaze upon a newborn child when he's in your midst. But he was he was sleeping, and I didn't want to disturb him. And so I got onto Facebook for a little bit, and there it was, word on fire uh, on Facebook. Every once in a while, they'll post uh, a little meme that just announces the saint of the day. And there he was, doctor of the church, St. Alphonsus Liguori. And He's long been a, a saint that I identify with, that I uh, have a, a connection with, that I admire both in his life and in his writings. And so I knew at that moment that this child needed to have Alphonsus as part of his name as well in, in marking the day, in honoring the saint, uh, and in, uh, in adding a little bit of who he was and his intercessions over my son. So here now we have this longest, the longest name in terms of how many names there are that we have with any of our children. The first three before we were Catholic, those, all of those kids have two names, right? Uh, but then uh, we get we became Catholic and we're like, hey, we're Catholic, let's add an extra saint name in there. And so the next three children all had three names. And, uh, and so here comes Jude. Uh, he has by far the shortest name uh, individual names. Everybody else is like three and four syllables. Uh, but, uh, but he had, now he has more names. And so syllabically, it ends up being shorter than a couple of them, but it, just in the sheer number of names, he's got by far the longest name, Jude Francis Alphonsus Martin. And so it's been a, a week of celebration uh, in our home. Uh, if you're if you're friends with me on Facebook or you follow the uh, the social media page over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls or Twitter the handles at outside the walls I'm sure you've already seen his picture uh, and given a couple of little oohs and ahs or maybe you're the kind of person that's like oh great now there's another ba another baby on Facebook yes that's what it's for uh, don't kid yourself Facebook is for baby pictures 
so yeah, we've had a week of celebration, celebrating not only the birth of this child, uh, not only as we pray for him and who he will become, but also celebration in who God is and his faithfulness. Even though we walk through times of, of difficulty, we walk through times of sadness and sorrow and pain, in the midst of it, sorrow endures for the night, and it can be a very long night. But joy comes with the morning. And so that's where we've been as a family, uh, really seeing the end of our long night uh, and seeing the faithfulness of God on, on sharp display. And so today, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about reveling in the goodness of God in our individual families. I'm going to be talking with Matt Swaim. He is the, uh, the coordinator, the communications director for uh, the Coming Home Network, chnetwork.org. He's got a new book of Catholic puzzles. I think you're going to be interested in it, available on Ave Maria Press. And he's just always a delight to have on. We're going to spend some time talking about uh, uh, Alphonsus Liguori, among other things. Uh, it's going to be a great conversation, so you're not going to want to go anywhere. And that conversation largely is going to center around this idea of how do we, you and I, live our lives authentically and not, um, not compromising on the faith, uh, but do so in a joyful way. Uh, you've probably heard the term the culture wars as we look at uh, the, the, the fallen nature that's present in our society. We see the things that are falling apart. We get a little bit nervous about them, perhaps. Uh, and it's really easy to get so consumed with what we see negative in our culture, trying to uphold the truth of, uh, that's been revealed through the church uh, in, in the person of Jesus Christ, that, uh, that we just get weary. We get battle-weary from really re-proclaiming, no, what you're doing over there is wrong. Uh, and, and so I've been really contemplating this recently, and specifically in light of uh, the, the way culture has gone over the last mm, maybe year, uh, and then specifically as I have uh, been attempting to raise my children. Uh, I've determined that looking at the, the news cycle— and looking at even some of the blogs that are out there can be really overwhelming. Uh, it can be uh, disheartening and to the point almost of uh, depressing. And that's not who we're called to be as Christians. And so over the last, uh, last year or so, I've really turned my attention away from the 24-hour news cycle. I'm sure you've probably noticed it here on the show. We, we spent some time really talking about that news cycle. And I've begun turning my attention to what does it mean to gaze upon Christ and to live that faith in my family. And so when we come back, we're going to have that conversation with Matt Swaim. Uh, it interests me. I hope that it interests you. How can we really authentically, with joy in our hearts, live the faith in a way that isn't tossed to and fro by everything else going on in the world? So join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. Twitter the handles at outside the walls. And let's keep this conversation going. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on our daily lives. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and today I have the great privilege of speaking with Matt Swain. He's currently the communications director for the Coming Home Network. You may know them from the Journey Home television show with Marcus Grodi, but there is so much more to what they do, and you can find out more about that over at chnetwork.org, chnetwork.org, and it's a brand new website. I went and looked today. Uh, I'm going to guess that's some of your doing. Talk to us a little bit about what they'll find when they go to the chnetwork.org. Well, sure. Well, in addition to being able to find the latest Journey Home episode and and the conversion of stories and articles, it's a great portal for anyone who is considering becoming Catholic, who has become Catholic and is trying to figure out the ropes. Uh, anybody who wants to have uh, great resources, you know, because converts have to explain and justify their faith to themselves before they actually become Catholic. So in the process... They think out loud a lot on our site and provide a lot of resources for Catholics uh, who are trying to relearn the faith or learn something that they never caught uh, growing up in CCD or parish school or whatever. So definitely head on over there. Lots of great articles, videos, 20-plus seasons of The Journey Home all online for free. Not only that, but if you become a member, there's a, a great little forum section. And what I love is you've got special resources. Uh, one of them that I, I use is uh, a read through the Catechism and the Bible in a year. Uh, and that's available in that special member section, and membership is free. So go right on yeah. over to ch. Can't beat that. chnetwork.org. Uh, Matt, great to have you on the show again. Always great chatting, Timothy. I feel like every time we talk, problems get solved. <laughs> Mainly problems Some I created. created but, right. Yeah. I, I wanted to talk to you today. Uh, last week in, in Napa, Napa, California, there's this great big conference that happens every year that, uh, uh, that has some of the, the foremost thinkers in the Catholic world gathering together and talking about the world's problems uh, and how we as Catholics can address those. And uh, Archbishop Chaput uh, had this really brief article that he's now published. We've put it up on our social media. You can get to it at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. Uh, and he just really addresses some, uh, I think, salient points that too often get overlooked. Uh, and one of these things he talks about is uh, rather than engaging the culture in a uh, an antagonistic way and looking at everything and seeing how bad it is and complaining against the times, as he puts it, uh, we should realize our own part in that. He says, don't complain against the times. We are the times. Uh, and specifically, he said, uh, w- there's, there, there are no quick fix problems. That uh, There's no quick fix for problems we've behaved ourselves into. And the culture we have is a culture we helped make with our appetites, our distractions, and our compromises. And this brought to mind this, uh, this Rich Mullins song where he talks about uh, when I compare myself, well, I'll just say the lyrics because it's much more poetic from him. He says, uh, I do get a little much over-impressed till I think of Peter and Paul and the apostles. I don't stack up too well against them, I guess, but by the standards around here, I ain't doing that awful. And I think he expresses very much what we experience in life, that we spend so much time comparing ourselves to the culture around us and feeling proud of ourselves rather than comparing ourselves to the standard of Christ and to the standard of the saints and realizing our own weaknesses, that we, we can never aspire to sainthood because we're not looking to sainthood. 
Well, doesn't it all come back to that uh, age-old parable that Jesus tells of the Pharisee and the publican, you know, where the Pharisee is saying, you know, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like Caesar or Hillary or Donald or you, whoever you want to think of in his time or our time. Thank God that I'm not like these other people. Mm -hmm. uh, then the publican just says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Right. <laughs> um I think it all comes back to that. Uh, you know, off the air, I told you that, that I think Our Lady of Fatima has to, a lot to say about this, um, especially because when people think of the apparition of Our Lady of Fatima, we think here is Our Lady come to talk about how to combat the evils of communism or to combat the evils of sexual immorality in our world and, and all this other stuff. And yeah, that's all part of it. But what's the core of her message? It's repent, repent, right? right? Uh, and and convert, uh, have your hearts be converted. I think it's very easy. And, and there's stuff in the culture that we've got to combat, stuff we've got to stand up against. But that's not the first thing. The first thing is I need to repent. Um, and that's not usually, uh, it, you know, I just want to point out, that's not usually my first move. Uh, <laughs> when, I, when I see something that's terrible in the world or I hear some story that I'm like, I can't believe that we live in this kind of a universe. We can live in this kind of a society. I never think, man, I should repent. I think, man, we got to go, you know, tell that person what's up. Um, and, and, and that turns it back around on us. Uh, I mean, even Jesus was com he, he was commonly turning that back on the accusers uh, and saying, hey, well, where, where are you in all this? Right. Well, and this whole idea of it's much easier to see someone else's sin uh, and much harder to accept our own. Right, the the things that we don't struggle with that we see as the big ones, and we look at someone else and say, "Oh gosh, look at look at their outward behavior," whereas the inward root in our own soul is sometimes rotting away. Uh, I love what Chaput says. He says the only way to create new life in culture is to live our lives joyfully and fruitfully as individuals ruled by convictions greater than ourselves and shared with people we know and love. It's a path that's very simple and very hard at the same time, but it's the only way to make a revolution that matters. And this idea that we need to be really focusing on how do I live the positives of faith and really convey those things that my faith uh, aspires to rather than simply looking and shaking my fingers at the things that I see that fall short. Well, Archbishop Shapu is tapping into something that I think we all know, even if we wouldn't articulate it this way, and uh, and that is that the Catholic Church, the faith, is not the NFL. Mm. For us, the best offense is not a good defense, right? <laughs> right? The best offense is a good offense. Um, and I think this also ties into something. I, I, I'd love to you know, pick your brain on this as well. I think that we spend so much time thinking that the church is countercultural. Well, what if we thought of the church as cultural? Because that's how the church thought of herself for centuries, right? We are not against the culture. We are the creators of the culture. We are the creators of a culture that values the family, that values the arts, that values truth, goodness, and beauty, and led the world in promoting those values. Uh, and now all we can do is wait till the culture gets so pro-death that we say we are against the euthanasia. We are against abortion and nobody knows what we're for. Right. Um, which is, of course we ought to be fighting those things. Of course we have to stand up to the culture of death, mm -hmm. but are we, what 
can we think of ourselves instead of just what are we standing up to? I, I think maybe more of what, we, what are we standing up for? Right. Right. What are we? What What is the city on the hill that we're presenting to people, and not just what is the city out there that we're attacking? Right. Well, you mentioned uh, euthanasia and abortion, and there is a very real sense that we are that we have to be uh, for the value of life. Uh, you know, we are against euthanasia and abortion specifically because of the intrinsic dignity of the person. And so that ought to cross over not just to those issues, but it ought to affect how we treat someone in the line at the grocery store. It ought to affect how we treat the person who's on the side of the road uh, begging for change. Uh, because that person, whether or not we agree with uh, their the way that they do things, that person is bearing the image of God and according to the uh, the parable of the the last days, the sheep and the goats in Matthew twenty five, we're going to be judged by Christ by how we respond to the dignity of the human person uh, that faces us in the poorest of the poor and the outcast and the prisoner. Yeah, and that's why um, I think people who uh, wouldn't give faith a, a fair shake otherwise have you know tuned in and say, hey, maybe Pope Francis has got something going here uh, because he. He says people have worth. He he says there should be. I mean, his very first encyclical was Evangelium, uh, Evangelium Gaudium. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the joy of the gospel. It is something that is joyful. It, it inspires joy in people. And you know, I wonder sometimes in my own life if I'm presenting the gospel as something that's joyful or something that's just angry at the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because if it's just angry at the world, it's not good news. Right. It's not good news. Yeah. The the good news is. The fact that that God came to be uh, with us, like us, take on our nature, redeem our nature, and put us in relationship with God, and this really is not a sour thing. It can't be a sour thing. It's the the the, the sweeter than honey that can contemplate what God has done for us. Yeah, it's it's again, you know, it, there's the whole we sing it in our you know, a little hand-holding hippie moments at mass, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Um, but I don't think that honestly, a lot of us know what it is that we mean when we say, let there be peace on earth. Um, because peace on earth really does start as the song cheesily says with me. Right. Right. Um, you know, there's a a GK Chesterton says something that I think we know, but we wouldn't articulate. We wouldn't really say it this way. He says, the most extraordinary thing in the world is an ordinary man and an ordinary woman and their ordinary children. Mm-hmm. Um, when the, the Catholic Church talks about the family as the domestic church, um, it's talking about cultivating a society. I mean, a family is a society. If you want to change society, why don't you change the society that you live in, that, where your mail comes to? Mm-hmm. Why don't you change that society? And even with that, the change has to start with you. you, you you're a parent. You're a father of a f- small village, right? <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know that if you want to have harmony in your house, you don't just beat your children until they stop disobeying, right? Um, you, have to, you have to model love. You have to model um, you know, some sense of virtue or else the whole thing's a wash. We're going to continue this conversation right after the break. We're talking with Matt Swaim of the Coming Home Network. He's also got a brand new book out that we'll be talking about in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith in our daily lives. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Today we're talking with Matt Swaim. Uh, he is the communications coordinator, director of the Coming Home Network International. You can find out more about them over at chnetwork.org. A great place, lots of resources there from interviews of conversion stories to resources for you. Uh, go take a look at them over at chnetwork.org. And today we're talking about how do we engage the culture? As we look around, do we see uh, something to be uh, battled and corrected and molded into our will? Or do we see something uh, that we are to to live in a way that affects it, right? Are we, are we the container that holds water that the, the culture is then conformed to? Or are, is the culture the container and we're the water fighting against the edges, right? Mm. So you, you mentioned right at the very end this uh, G.K. Chesterton quote uh, of the, the most extraordinary thing in the world is an ordinary man and an ordinary woman living ordinary lives with ordinary children, right? Uh, I have now, uh, with my wife, seven children because we are insane, uh, the, the oldest is nine. Yes, you heard that correctly. The youngest is uh, just a couple of days old. Uh, and so we're not getting a whole lot of sleep, but that's, uh, that's the way that the world works at this point. Uh, we started off talking about Archbishop Sipu's, uh address that he gave at the Napa conference. And he says something very similar to that that I just want to uh, bring up. He says, uh, when young people ask me how to change the world, I tell them to love each other, get married, stay faithful to one another, have lots of children, and raise those children to be men and women of Christian character. Faith is a seed. It doesn't flower overnight. It takes time and love and effort. He says money is important, but it's never the most important. The future belongs to people with children, not with things. Things rust and break, but every child is a universe of possibility that reaches into eternity connecting our memories and our hopes in a sign of God's love across the generation. That's what matters, he says. The soul of a child is forever. And I can't say it any better than that. You know, we, we look at the culture and we want, we want to see uh, quick legislation fix everything, but really it took generations of compromise of saying, oh, well, you know, it's not that bad, and we'll accept that that one failing uh, in culture. It took generations of that before it got to the place where it imploded on us. And it's going to take generations of us living faithfully and joyfully to counteract that. You know, Pope Francis said something similar, uh, you know, kind of tongue-in-cheek when he said that there are, um, you know, millions of young people, young couples cohabiting and contracepting and they have a pet. So they think that they're parents, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it, 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 I don't think people understand how countercultural as to use the word, how right. against the, the, the general wave of what is considered culture. Now it is to have a marriage and children, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, for the culture warriors out there, the idea that Marriages between one and man, one man and one woman, is 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 something that people shout from the rooftops. But they don't finish that sentence. Right. Uh, they don't say it's a relationship between one man and one woman for life. Right. Right. You don't get you don't see the the uh, the the pro marriage groups 
sounding out that part near as loudly. And that's, that's the part that, you know, even as I send my son to a Catholic school, it's amazing to me how many single parents are dropping their kids off at Catholic school, at Catholic school. And I would say that, that for life has a double meaning because yes, it is uh, for the duration of our lives, but it's also for the purpose of creating life. Uh, and we, we generally see marriage as a union for the adults when uh, historically marriage has been a union for the stability of, for the benefit of the children, right? Uh, and so uh, I think that that's something that we need to realize uh, that we've compromised on. Whether or not we personally have, we have been more accepting of it. Now, yeah. obviously, we, we walk with grace towards those people who have had a difficulty in their life. We're, we're not Jansenist. We're not sitting here saying, oh, well, you, you fell, and so you can never be back in, in good graces with God, and your life is ruined. No, God is in the business of restoring, and yet we still uh, aspire within ourselves to live to a higher standard. You know, I'm I'm very curious about your thoughts on this. I know I'm not supposed to be doing the doing the interviewing here. <laughs> it's right an ahead. old ha- it's an old habit uh, from my, my decade in radio. Uh, but you and I both grew up in evangelical mm-hmm. milieus, and uh, very much in a sort of family values, right wing focus on the family type of society. Now, in that, I I had an understanding of the biblical view of marriage. Right. Um, or the, that my faith told me that, uh, you know, the unborn person was a human being and that my faith was, you know, a way to inform all these things. What I didn't have was a formation in the natural law. Oh, I, I had no clue. I didn't have an understanding that that to go against, you know, the, the dignity of the human person was not just a violation of my faith. It was also a violation of of the natural law. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if Catholics realize the gift that they have in that, that they have both faith and reason on their side when it comes to showing forth the beauty of the family. Now, it's not just because God said you should be together. He did, right? <laughs> right? And and have children. It's because he also set up a world in which not only is that the the righteous and holy way to live your life. It is also the practical way in which society stays healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have that sense in my in my worldview right. where the Bible was the only authority I had to say yes or no on that. Right. We're talking today with Matt Swaim, communications coordinator for the Coming Home Network, and and I think that that was true of myself as well. I'd never even heard the term uh, natural law until I became a Catholic, and someone introduced me to the work of uh, Jay Budzisevsky, uh, uh, which mm-hmm. is a name that's not at all spelled like it sounds, uh, but it's a book called What You Can't Not Know. Yeah, I know I know exactly the book. It's His first name is the letter J, and his last name is the entire rest of the alphabet. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll put a link to that up on social media as well. At one point you mentioned that we, we're not countercultural, we're cultural. And then you did kind of use the word countercultural uh, at a later point, but I think that there's a difference in recognizing that we are living differently uh, than the rest of society, but we don't find our identity in the fact that we're living differently than the rest of society. We find our identity in the fact that we are living for Christ, and we live out that culture, uh, and yes, it does happen to be yeah. different than the culture around us, but it it is uh, really... A, 
there's not really a good way to say it. It's like a bacteria, right? We're going to repeat ourselves uh, and affect change in the things that are around us simply by living uh, the culture of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, what if you were defined as an eater mm-hmm. only by the things that you didn't like? Yeah. Like, what should we cook for so-and-so? Well, we know they're a vegetarian and gluten-free and, you know, we know that they, you know, are lactose intolerant and all this other stuff. Yeah, that, that helps me to a certain extent. But what do you like? Right. If you're coming over for dinner, I don't want to just know what you can't eat. I want right. to know what you like. I want to know what you're about. Um, if you define God only in terms of what he is not, uh, then you don't really understand who he is. If we define ourselves only in terms of what we're against – then people never get to really know us. They only get to see us when they're when they're arguing with us, right? Well, to, to put a, a finer point on it, uh, it's like the person who wants to lose weight who, who says, I can't eat this, I can't eat this. Well, all they're thinking about is that thing they can't eat, right? Their attention is on the, the negation rather than on what is permissible, what is healthy, what is uh, possible. And so... When we focus so much on everything that we see wrong with the culture, all we're doing is looking to culture. And Scripture and the and tradition calls us to fix our eyes not on what's wrong in culture, but in what Christ is calling us to. Therefore, I, fixing our eyes on Jesus, we press on towards the, the high calling of the— you know, there is something that we are looking toward, that are, we're fixing our gaze on, uh, that, that compels us to live in a certain way. And when we begin to complain about the culture just for the sake of complaining about the culture and we turn our attention to the culture, then we stray. We lose sight of Christ and we fall off the narrow way, so to speak. What if you or I were to go to our bride today and say, honey, I am with you because I have rejected every other woman in the world? Well, given that my wife just gave birth, it would not go well. It would not go well, no. you know. I mean, what if what if that was our... Uh, our criteria for selecting all kinds of things that we, we actually, I mean, I married my wife because I love her and she's the most important woman in the world to me. And I would do anything for her. Um, not because I just said no to a whole bunch of other people. And what is it that a bachelor noncommittal society is out there thinking? They're thinking, well, I can't say yes to this person because that's saying no to everybody else. <laughs> right? right. Uh, what if we affirmed the joy and love that led us to, go into a marriage instead of just saying, well, we think this, that, and the other is not marriage. Mm-hmm. What if we just affirmed what we have? Right. Um, you know, cause people are hungry for that. People are hungry for, you know, I know, I know non Catholic friends who have positive feelings towards their, their Catholic families that they know who have four five, six children, seven more. And they say, you know, there's just something about them. I can't put my finger on what it is, but it's just great to be over to their place for, for dinner, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that may not be you providing an apologetics argument for, you know, the Catholic understanding of the human person, but it is you showing something forth that people can recognize even if they can't define. We're talking today with Matt Swain, communications coordinator for the Coming Home Network, chnetwork.org. Uh, We're going to continue this conversation into the next segment. You're not going to want to go anywhere. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. We'll be right back right after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith in our daily lives. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. We've been talking today with Matt Swaim, and we've we've had a great conversation about living culturally, not counterculturally, but living culturally, fixing our eyes on Christ and letting that draw us into a new culture that that really affects and and uh, transforms the culture around us. Uh, but before we get too far, I, I wanted to talk to you. You've got a brand new book that has nothing to do with our topic. Nothing uh, to do with really, it. Really, almost nothing to do with, with uh, anything. It's just something to do when you're wanting to have fun, right? It's a- well, actually, it ties back into our idea of Catholics being creators of culture because it's called Catholics, uh, Catholic Puzzles, Word Games, and Brain Teasers. I've got volume one and two out. Okay from Ave Maria Press. And for all the Catholic trivia and quizzes and stuff that I do, it's amazing how much of it harkens back to trivia related to Catholics creating culture. So for instance, I have one cross-link thing where every word in in the puzzle is the name of some priest who was also a pioneering scientist in some field. Okay. And you've got to sort them in the puzzle to where the the names all interlock properly. So it does, in a sense, have to do with, you know, Catholics yeah. creating culture. Um, by the way, it, there are there are not just crosswords and, and, and word games and stuff, but there's also some sort of trivia and brain teasers um, and exercises in regard to that. Um, would you be open to me quizzing you very quickly? Oh, man, go for on, it. On one of these? Let, let, let's right. see how badly I fail. Let's see how badly you can do. I'm sleep, bet you sleep do deprivation. Than, sleep deprivation bet, with a baby. You know, I'm, you know, I'm hitting you at a weak point. You are. Right. <laughs> Go for it. So uh, so one of these has to do with um, the word. I come up with one word, and you have to figure out words related to that word or words that contain that word. Okay. Um, so the word is church. Okay. And I'm going to give you five clues from this book, okay. and you have to tell me what the answer is. The answer has to contain the word church. Okay. All right. Third largest city in New Zealand. Okay. Do you have it? No. Christchurch, man. Ah. Next question. Answer also contains church. British prime minister during World War II. Churchill. Okay. You got that one. All right. Home of the run for the roses. That's Churchill Downs. Yes. There you go. I'll give you one more. Okay. Answer contains church. How about a phrase meaning noiseless? A phrase meaning noise, quiet as a church mouse. There you go. But it gives you an idea of the kind of all right. It's like jeopardy dirtiness that's in there. What what it's is like what jeopardy is... meets Wheel of Fortune meets <laughs> the pyramid squares or whatever. And that's available right now on Ave Maria Press. Go take a look at it. It's called Catholic Quizzes, Puzzles, and Other Suches. That's the official. That's exactly title. how you can Google it. If you look up <laughs> Catholic Puzzles on Amazon. I'm pretty sure it'll pop right up. Thank you so much for being here on the show today. Hey, you bet. Always glad to chat with you. You always ask inspiring questions. We've been talking today with Matt Swaim, Communications Director for the Coming Home Network, chnetwork.org, also a new author of Catholic Puzzles and so forth, uh, available on Ave Maria Press. There's two volumes, so there's plenty to do and keep yourself busy. If you missed any part of our conversation or you want to share it with someone else, this conversation we've had about fixing our eyes on Christ and being creators of culture rather than simply uh, being against counter 
culture, the culture that's around us, uh, then go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, and there's an the episode archive there. You can catch this episode or really any of the other episodes as well. Additionally, I've got more conversation with Matt, uh, specifically for those people who are the patrons of the show. Through our Patreon account, for as little as $2 a month, you can get access to all kinds of extra content, including unbroadcast segments. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, and see what uh, what level of support may fit you and, uh, and your interests. Now, as always, I want to get uh, over to our time in Scripture and our time in church history. And today we're going to do a reading from from St. Alphonsus Liguori, from the Breviary, from back on August 1st, because that's a really significant day in our life, as, as you caught earlier. Uh, but I, I want to do our readings from Scripture from uh, tomorrow, from the Feast of the Transfiguration, because I think it really plays into what we've been talking about. So the Gospel today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17. Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, conversing with him. And Peter said to Jesus in reply, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud cast a shadow over them, and then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell prostrate and were very much afraid. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and do not be afraid. And when the disciples raised their eyes, they saw no one else but Jesus alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, Do not tell the vision to anyone until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. That reading again comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 17. And I think that this is what we need, you and I, an experience with Christ that fills our vision, that distracts us from everything else going on in the world to where we see Him and Him alone. And in that focusing on Christ, these other things take care of themselves. We can get so caught up focusing on what's wrong in the world that we miss what's right in Christ and what Christ has made right between us and God. And so tomorrow as you go to Mass, as you hear this reading again proclaimed by the deacon of the priest, uh, ask the Holy Spirit to give you this picture of the risen Christ, an encounter with the risen Christ, so that you can, can experience Uh, that draw to the good, the beautiful, and the true, and not be distracted by everything else in the world. Our reading from Church History Today comes from August 1st out of the Breviary, and it's from a sermon by St. Alphonsus Liguori. All holiness and perfection of soul lies in our love for Jesus Christ, our God, who is our Redeemer and our Supreme Good. It is part of the love of God to acquire and nurture all the virtues which make a man perfect. Has not God, in fact, won for himself a claim on all our love? From all eternity he loved us, and it is in this vein that he speaks to us. O man, consider carefully that I first loved you. You had not yet appeared in the light of day, nor did the world yet exist, but already I loved you. From all eternity I have loved you. Since God knew that man is enticed by favors, He wished to bind him to his love by means of his gifts. 
I want to catch men with the snares, those chains of love in which they allow themselves to be entrapped so that they will love me. And all the gifts which he bestowed on man were given to this end. He gave him a soul, made in his likeness, and endowed with memory, intellect, and will. He gave him a body, equipped with the senses. It was for him that he created heaven and earth and such an abundance of things. He made all these things out of love for man, so that all creation might serve man, and man in turn might love God out of gratitude for so many gifts. But he did not wish to give us only beautiful creatures. The truth is that to win for himself our love, he went so far as to bestow upon us the fullness of himself. The Eternal Father went so far as to give us his only Son, so that when he saw that we were all dead through sin and deprived of his grace, what did he do? Compelled, as the Apostle says, by the superabundance of his love for us, he sent his beloved Son to make reparation for us and to call us back to a sinless life by giving us his Son, whom he did not spare precisely so that he might spare us. He bestowed on us at once every good, grace, love, and heaven. For all these goods are certainly inferior to the Son. He who did not spare his own Son but handed him over for all of us, how could he fail to give us, along with his Son, all good things? That reading comes from a homily on the love of Christ by St. Alphonsus Liguori, Doctor of the Church. And this is the truth. We look at the, the society and culture around us, and we could see how far from holiness it may be. And we could let that drive us to, uh, to almost this frenetic despair, uh, desiring the good things of God and yet really not seeing them. But we have to turn and fix our gaze not on what's wrong with the world, but what is right with Christ, and to see this amazing love that he's poured out for us, to see the, the goodness and the beauty of God, to see Christ transfigured, to see him as he is. That's all the apostles had at that transfiguration, is they saw Christ in his glory rather than simply clothed in his human nature, right? They saw all of God. And so here, we need to get a glimpse not of the mundane, not of the things that, that fall short, but of the transfigured Christ, Christ in his glory. And through that, we need to be enamored with the love of God, focused on him, creators of culture, a culture that renews and restores rather than resisting what surrounds us, pressing on for the high calling, uh, the prize in Christ Jesus. And so that's my, my encouragement to you this week. Uh, turn off the news. Uh, put down Facebook. Get away from the, the, the stresses that are everywhere, drawing our attention to what's wrong with the world. And find time this week. Go to adoration. Find some place where you can turn your attention not to the stresses of this life, but to the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ and all that he gives us in his grace. That's all the time we have this week. Join the continuing conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. 
Uh, today's show is brought to you by the generous contributions of Carrie Carlson and Brandy Carey and all of our other Patreon supporters. To learn how you can support the show and get cool stuff, go over to OutsideTheWalls.com and click that Patreon link. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.